Open lies, hidden truth. We're talking about the difference between comfort and commission. Comfort and commission. Now, it won't make much sense to you at the moment, but we're going to get there. So what's the most important thing in life? When I do uh, lecturing, I lecture ministers of religion in, in marriage celebrancy. And so we go to the, to the, the, uh, the lectures and, I, and I'll stand there and sometimes the, the lady who actually sets up the lectures for me delivers me um, civil celebrants. So they come and sit in these lectures which are for ministers. And I might ask a question, what's the most important thing in life? You know, well, what, what's the most important thing that you could see was the most important thing? And I could, I could get you to say, whisper to the person beside you, what's the most important thing in life? But I'm not going to do that because you might say the wrong thing. So I'll just leave you there. But I found that people say, look, the most important thing in life is my happiness. I just want to be happy. And they will live their whole lives doing what they're doing, trying to find happiness trying to be comfortable, trying to find happiness, trying to find some level of happiness in their life. You know, the whole of their life is, is governed by and directed towards trying to find something that will make them comfortable and happy. They work very hard all their lives so that at the end of their lives they can retire early and then at the retirement early to become comfortable and have happiness in their lives. And in a sense, we have been primed in the West to be like that. And when I say primed, we've been conditioned. From the time that we've been very small, we, we, the West is kind of like a Protestant ethic. When I say Protestant ethic, it comes from this mentality, you don't spend your money too much, save it, save it for a rainy day, save it, put it in the bank, make sure you've got it in the bank so that you can be comfortable later on. Store up in your storehouse, your bank better, get your superannuation there, get everything all done away with, get it all sorted out so that at the end of your life it can be easy for you, not hard for you. And... Our government is encouraging you to do this. You know, we have uh, compulsory superannuation, and so it's all part of the way we are trained to think in a society like the West. We're also trained by the TV, and we're primed to enjoy ourselves. We're told to enjoy ourselves. We're told that we're the most important person in the world, and really the most important thing that you can do in life is enjoy life, and you are the most important person in life, so get comfortable. And everything that comes across the media to us is is planned to make us and to stimulate us to be happy and to, to be excited. In fact, they set audiences down in front of movie screens and they put the movie screens up and they, they tape the people up with little uh, electrons to test them. And then they put the screen in front of them and they watch it and they, they judge what makes your heart go faster and what makes you get excited when you see them. And they make sure that the films do that for you so that when you go and watch the movies, you get the biggest hit you can get out of them because they want you to feel good about the movie that you go to. So that, that's a fantastic movie. It made me cry. I watched Bambi and when the man came into the forest, oh, you know, they, they want you to feel something extremely strongly. So most of your um, movies and most of your TV and most of your uh, news articles are all designed to stimulate within you great feelings of emotion because it's addictive. It's addictive. They want to shock you and then they want to make you feel happy. And they want to shock you again and make you feel happy. And so we go through this life of being shocked and feeling happy and shocked and feeling happy and we're just being controlled by people who are controlling us. 
So the lie is something like this. The most important thing is to eat, to drink, and to be merry, for tomorrow we die. I mean, life is for living. Now, I was going to bring an orange here, and I was going to cut an orange in half, but I got too busy and I forgot my oranges. But anyway, I was going to bring an orange here, and I was going to squeeze the orange like that and squeeze all the juice out of it. Then we're told to squeeze the orange of life dry. Like you have one life to live. You have to learn how to live your one life the best you can, for as long as you can, for as hard as you can, as, as, as good as you can. You've just got to squeeze the orange of life dry. And, and we go through life, we think, you know, I'm not really living, I'm just existing. And we sort of, you know, you've got to live. And so we're looking for those moments, those opportunities, whereby we can begin to sense that we are alive, that we're really living. So we have some time of worship and we feel close to God and we think, oh, yeah, that was fantastic this morning. We feel good about it. And then we might go on Sunday or Monday and, and Monday might be cold in the morning and we might wake up and we've got a sore throat and everything's, you know, and, and we haven't got any food to eat or, you know, things are not, and, and we're grumpy and, it, oh, it's not real good, you know. And so we don't feel real good, you know. And so we're not, we're not really living, we're just existing at that time. So we're told to try and get as much as we can out of life. We're told to try and get as, as much as we can in life. Now that's true to a degree, you know. Uh, the, the, the degree is you shouldn't just waste your life. Hey, how many people want to waste their lives? Nobody. So nobody wants to waste it. How many people want to have a purposeful life? Put your hand up if you want to have a purposeful life. Of course we want to have a purposeful life. How many people want to be happy? Put your hand up if you want to be happy. You're all scared to put your hand up now. Yeah, of course you want to be happy. You, that's in you. You want to be happy. How many people want to be really sad and suffer all their lives? Put your hand up. Well, I don't see any takers for that one. Well, that's because that's not what we're used to. We want to be happy. We want to have comfort. That's what's part of our whole dynamic. And that's the way that we have been conditioned to think too. We don't necessarily embrace the hardship because it's just sometimes a little bit too hard to embrace. So it really comes down to quite simple things like, you know, the lie is the most important thing is to be happy. The truth is, the most important thing is to be obedient. Can you say that with me? The lie is, the most important thing is to be happy. The truth is, the most important thing is to be obedient. Now you see the wisdom there. Because happiness can take you down some very, very dark paths and happiness can take you to some places that you really don't want to be and happiness can make you feel nice and feel happy but it can also kill you. Whereas obedience can make you feel sad at times and it's not very good at times when you're obedient and you may not feel joy and comfort when you're obedient. Like you came to church this morning, you came into a fridge to sit and listen to me. I am. I think that's incredible but... You might not have felt that comfortable this morning when you come. You might have, well, I'm not only doing this for you, Jesus. You're the only way that I would come and sit in the fridge and listen to a sermon. You're the only one that I'll do this for. That's obedience. That I'm asking God to give you a good blessing because of that. And I'm asking God to make you feel happy in your obedience, even if it was difficult for you today. The, our, our society is in a mess. It's been conditioned. We have been targeted. We really have been. 
Um, if, you did, if you study media or advertising in the university, you'll, just, you'll know exactly how much that you've been targeted. Nothing is passive. No radio station is passive. No, no TV channel is passive. Nothing that comes across any of the airwaves, nothing that's written in a magazine is passive. It all has a message and it all is designed to stimulate you. It's designed to get you going, to start thinking. It's designed to make you want to buy something. It's designed to make you want to feel something. It's designed to exploit you. It's designed to exploit your fears and your desires. It's designed to manipulate your emotions. It's designed to undermine your values. It's designed to destroy your values. And sometimes... You actually pay to have your values destroyed. I want you to think about this. If somebody were to come into your room, into your house, into your house, and they were to sit down at your lounge, and they would turn to your young son or your young daughter, and then start to say to them, you know what you want to do? You want to have sex before you get married. You know what you want to do? You want to have a play around time with drugs and alcohol. You know what you want to do? You, and if they were to sit there and they were to give that counsel to you while you were standing in the room, I think that you would probably grab them by the ear and boot them out the house, wouldn't you? But you know what? They sit in a television screen and behind the television screen and you just listen to it going on and you think it's passive and they are telling your children exactly the same thing. They're saying, look, let's role model premarital sex. Let's role model drug addiction. Let's role model all these things. And it's coming at you and your kids are going, and you know what? You let them sit there because it's easier for them to watch that for you to create something for them to do. It's the babysitter. It's sad, but that's what we do. Then you get bored on a Friday night, you put your hand in your pocket, and you grab a couple of dollars and you say, let's go to the movies. And you go to the movies. I know it's not a very good one. It's got a few fleshy scenes in it. You know, there's a few sex scenes in it, but we close our eyes when they go, we don't, we just watch them. But you pay. You put the money in there, you put the money in the hand, and you go in there and you sit and you eat the popcorn and you watch through a window like a peeping Tom at people having sex in front of you on the movie screen. Like if you did that, if you climbed over my fence and you came to my window and you looked through my window at night time trying to see my wife and I, I'd get you arrested. But we actually put it on a movie screen, we put it in there, you pay money and you go and do it for free. No, you don't, you pay for it. You do the peeping Tom in the screen. But you'd be arrested if you did that in your backyard. It's the same thing happening. You're looking through a window at something going on that's immoral. And guess what it's doing? It's changing your values. It's changing your morality. It's undermining your values. And so that when it actually presents itself to you, so somebody comes to you and says, you know, well, you know, yeah, I've been, I've been looking at you for some time and I, I think you're kind of sweet, you know. How about we go and do something together? Why? Why are you doing that? Well, I've seen it how many times, you know. You can, God will forgive you for a little bit of messing around. Just as long as I'm feeling happy. That's the most important thing. And you say, well, why could I ever do that? It's because... We've been primed, we've been conditioned, we've been brought, our values have been brought down low, they've been corroded and corroded, and we've been involved in having them corroded. We don't say no 
to the things that we should say no to. We don't say no to the things that are wrong. We let them go. We think it's okay to keep on doing those things. And because we do, we wonder then sometimes when, when it comes time for us to stand up, we don't stand up, we sit down. We don't be strong, we are weak. God wants us to remember some things. And today he wants to remind us that our society in these last days is in a terrible state. Let's have a look what the scripture says. In Matthew chapter 24, 7 to 14, these words are said. And this is really, this is really where we're at in our society now. So if you listen to what the Bible says and you look at your TV screen, you see this happening right now. It says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Well, you're seeing that. You know, Ukraine and Russia fighting now. We shot an airplane out of the sky, 27, 28. Odd Australians on board. Oh, this has just got your attention. Everybody's looking at it now. You know, it's only just a few weeks ago. This is nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. You just have to watch the news. You see that's happening everywhere you go. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Okay, you've got to have a baby is being born. That's, that's, the, that's the beginning of the birth pains. The baby is going to be born. This is the end times. Jesus is coming back. It's nearly all over. It says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Now, let me, let me just stop there. and Let me tell you something about what's happening in America now. Did you know that fundamental Christianity in America is number one hate crime now? You can't, they've taken God out of the schools. They've taken God, prayer out of the schools. They've made it illegal. You can't make, in God we trust, that's being eliminated. It's no longer part of the American way of life. In fact, if you, if you preach gospel message, you stand on the preach, you will get arrested. You know, they'll take that. You're not allowed to do it. It's secularism. That's the thing. And it's like in France, secularism. Secularism, secularism means there is no God. You cannot worship God. You must believe that there is no God. You go to Sun, Sunshine Coast and you start to hand out tracks at the Sunshine Coast. There's a little man that will come out and say, you're handing out a track at the Sunshine Coast, just up the sun. We've made some rules in council that says you cannot witness the people at the Sunshine Coast. If you keep on doing that, you're going to get a $500 fine for giving a person a track about Jesus at the Sunshine Coast. That's here in Australia. In Australia. In Australia, you're not allowed to do this. You know, you're politically clear. Shut up, don't talk about God. We don't want to know about God. And it's only going to get worse. You know, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to get worse to the point where if you keep on preaching the gospel, you're considered to be somebody who is vehemently hating other people. Because they think that you, because you have standards and morality and you stand up for what you believe is right, you hate people that are doing something different to you. You're a terrorist. That's what they think. And then they will come and get you. And they will take you away. And in the States now, if you've read a bit of stuff in the States, they have all the facilities to lock you away. They're called FEMA camps, where they can lock you away if you, if you don't tow the company line. If you don't have, and, and they are training their armed forces for those who are actually being Christian. They can be taken away because the Christians will not cooperate with a secular government. It's happening, friends. It's happening. It's, you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. This wild world, new world order has nothing to do with God. 
everything against God. And he said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate one another. You know, that's the sad thing, you know. When that happens, you've got to find out who your mates are. <laughs> Some of you are going to hate me to a, to a core. You know, I'm going to say, you know, you've got to love me because I'm your pastor. You've already got to dob me in. And you'll probably take me, they'll probably take me away and I'll probably get my head chopped off. But that's okay. I'm ready for that. Are you ready for that? Oh, give me a bit of that. I want some of that, hey. I've been practicing suffering, you know. <laughs> Verse 11 says, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now, I don't want to talk to you about other ministries and, and, and other churches, but I, I want to let you know that at this time, the hard line of the gospel of Jesus, the hard line of preaching the truth is going to be diminished to the point where, you know, let me tell you something that makes you feel comfortable, that is good for you, that sort of fits in with the, 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 the line that the society is delivering to you, where you are the most important. This is all about you. Just be more tolerant with people. If you can be more tolerant with people, we don't care who you believe in, just as long as you let the other people believe in what they want to believe in too, and that's, we'll all get along together and we'll have a united faith you know it'll be a one world faith but it won't be christian it will be just whatever it is and you know what let's all get together and do this thing and these guys will stand and girls will stand up and and they will deceive many leave them all astray you can hear it the bible says they'll be teaching doctrines of demons and they'll be doing incredible signs and wonders you'll think how do they do that man that's so fancy how do they get that done? It's all a deception. All a deception. And it says, you, if you don't hang on to the truth, you will believe the lie. Oh, you'll be very comfortable in it, though. It'll be very comfortable for you. It won't be fulfilling the commission, but it'll be very comfortable for you. Because it's all about scratching your itching ears and making something palatable for you. Rather than telling you the truth, making you... Feel like it's okay. And then it says here, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Well, this is the love of God. It says that everything is going to get... Well, look, bad has been bad from, from the very beginning. I mean, how can, the, how can the wickedness increase? Well, let me tell you, wickedness has increased because you brought it into your house. You brought it into your, into your bedroom. You brought it into every room in the house. I don't know how many TVs you've got in your house. I've got none in my house, and that's fine. That was my choice some years ago. But some people have a TV in every room in their house. And you turn that TV on, and you've got a computer screen in every room in your house, maybe. And you've got internet in every room in your house, maybe. And you turn that on, and it's accessible to every sort of vile thing that you can ever imagine. And every search that you make, you can end somewhere where you don't want to end. Because it's all there. Everything is there. Don't, you know, the, if you looked at the amount of money that is spent in creating the obscene, this huge, massive business is in creating pornography and the obscene. It's all billions and billions and trillions of dollars in America is pumped into just getting all that happening. So it can be poured out in your bedroom when no one's watching. Oh, you couldn't do that 10 years ago or 50 years ago because you didn't have TV. Didn't have a computer to do it on. Well, you can do it now. Oh, is it increased? Well, it's still the same bad stuff, but it's just more accessible for you. And because it's more accessible for you, the Bible says, and because you're going there, and the statistics tell us that you're going there, 
Because we can tell, if you look at the statistics, that majority of guys here go there, and girls too, and I don't, that sounds shocking, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Because every, every time you access that stuff, they know who, who's accessing it. It's, it's all monitored. That's the truth. It's all followed. Everybody knows. You know, I got invited to God interest on my computer. Can you go to God, some, some site, it was a God interest site, you know, to look at God videos. I thought, I didn't, I didn't ask to be, I didn't ask to be joined up to an organization that has some God interest focus. But my computer knows what I search out. It knows what I'm looking at. And it collects some ideas and presents them back to me and says, why don't you go look at this? Maybe you want to... They're watching. They're watching. You think, oh, well, I thought I was just doing this by myself. Oh, no, no, God sees it all and so do they. <laughs> yeah. It's nasty stuff we're living in. And your love will grow cold. You just don't love Jesus the same we used to, you know. But you know, one of the things I like about this verse, it has a choice aspect about it. You know, it's in verse 12, it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And this is the love, I love this one. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That means you have a choice, you know. You can choose to grow cold or you can choose to be hot. I'm going to choose to be hot, okay? I'm going to make some moves in my life to choose to be hot. I'm not going to sit here and just get cold because everybody else is getting cold. I want to be hot on the inside. How many people want to be hot? Put your hand up, even if you're just telling me a lie. I want, I just, I want to be hot for Jesus. I just want to go for God. I don't want to sit down and I don't want to just become... I don't want to be a product of, of, of this world's de- devil-worshipping secularism. I don't want to end up half-dead, half-baked, you know, not loving God. I just don't want to be there. I want to be hot for God. And whatever it takes, I want, I'm going to do that to be hot for Jesus. And it says, he who stands firm to the end, that don't move, stay with, stay with me, stay in the word of God. If you stands firm to the end, will be saved. And listen, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. You know, you can either have comfort or you can get on with the commission. You can have a choice to sit down and oh, I'm going to have comfort now. I'm going to eat a little bit more of this poison stuff. I'm going to just be relaxing. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to have some more pizza. I'm going to have some more drink. I'm going to say, oh, you're getting too over the top, Mark. I'm, going to, I'm not going to go there with you. I'm just going to be just the average person like everybody else. I'm going to be cool about all this. You can be hot. You can go and preach the gospel around the world. You can go and get yourself slain, but I'm not. I'm going to be quiet. You have a choice now what you're going to do. You can either get going for God and get with the commission, or you can believe the lie and get comfortable. You know, God is not saying, hey, this is terrible. You all have to die at this point of time because the faith of most will grow cold. He's actually saying, no, you can actually get with the task. You can get with the commission and get going for it. You just have to make some choices with regard to your comfort. And how that's important. Hedonism is the belief of our society. Everybody say hedonism. Now, that's a new word for people. If you've never heard, put your hand up. You've never heard that word before. Okay, say it a couple more times. Hedonism. 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 Hedonism is the belief. The word hedon is a Greek word and it it means pleasure. It means pleasure, and this is the belief. 
The belief is that pleasure or happiness is the most important goal in life. You are living in Australia. Australia is hedonistic. It believes that the most important thing in life is to enjoy yourself. We have the great Australian weekend on which we do that. We have Wednesday night footy. We have all kinds of sports. We have everything that you can imagine just so you can enjoy yourself. There's, it's just unlimited. It's the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole or chief good in life. I mean, in the end of the... And this is what we hear. If you ask somebody, what do you really want? What's really important in life? And they say, I just want to be happy. They're telling you they are hedonistic. The most important thing in life is my pleasure or my comfort. So that's us in Australia. Now, what does the Bible tell us about that? Well, 2 Timothy tells us a lot about that. So have a look and have a read about what 2 Timothy says. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Now, the word lovers there is an interesting word. It's the word filio, which is, it means warm. Agapio is a sort of a heartless love. You know, it's God's love, but it's, when I say heartless, I mean, it's not enveloping with any emotion. So when Jesus loved us, he agapeed us. Jesus died on the cross to show his love for us. You know, yeah, I can just imagine Jesus being stapled to the cross, you know, nailed to the cross. Every time they, they drove a nail through his hands, oh, that just feels so pleasurable. I just feel so warm toward you. They're now, they're, they're now whipping and flaying his back with the whip. And the, and the skin is being peeled off his back. He's saying, oh, I just love you so much. Oh, it feels so good. No, 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 no. God's love doesn't have any emotion involved with it. It just gives you love in spite of what it's feeling. Phileo love is a brotherly love that's involved in emotions. So I can say, I love you, John. Phileo, like a brother, I feel warm towards you, I, you know. And then he criticizes me and he says some nasty things to me and he tells some lies about me. And I'll sit there and I'll say, well, I love you now, but I don't feel warm to you. I've changed my love. I don't feel, I don't like you anymore, but I still love you. You see the difference? There's two loves there. One, I like you because I feel warm to you. That's phileo. The other, I love you in spite of what you've just done for me. That's agapeo. We in Australia, we use the same word love for everything. But that's the difference. This word is phileo. It means warm love. It's our feeling. So we are feeling warm about ourselves. We are lovers of ourselves. You know, who's the most important? Well, you know who the most important person in the world is, don't you? Yes, you're looking at him. Here I am, the most important person in the world. Well, that's what I think. You see, we are warm. And we're told that from the, the care bears tell us that. All the, all the little, little innocent, innocent, all the innocent cartoons that come up for our children to watch tell us to believe in yourself, love yourself. We're told to have a good self-image, otherwise you won't get along in life, you know? So we're told to feel very warm about that. We are encouraged to be lovers of ourselves. Well, it's very hard to love two people at a time. How can I love you and me at the same time? I think I love me more than I love you, you know. And in the end, if you're not doing what I want, you know, then you don't love me. And, and everybody should love me because I'm the most important person in the world. 
It's a nonsense of our society. Terrible days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers, it's the same word again, warm toward money. I like it. You want me to put my wallet out? I open it up. Now you see that? You see that? That's warm toward money. You see that? That's, that's called warm toward money. Well, I wish you'd never done that now. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. People be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient. You only have to go down to the train station on, when, on, on, on Saturday night to hear abuse. To be here abusive to parents, to hear abusive language to one another. Disobedience to be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says having a form of godliness but denying its power. Wait a minute, he's he's describing church. He just described church. He said, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it. The power is the power of a changed life. Jesus changes our lives by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We say no to sin and yes to him. We start loving others more than ourselves. We start loving God. We don't love pleasure. We don't love these things. We start to live a changed life. And that's the form that we have, a different lifestyle. They deny the power of the changed life. That's how they can live this rot. And it's in a church. And he says, don't have anything to do with them. Make a choice. Bad company corrupts good morals. I don't know why you're getting so upset about, you know, people, young couples cohabiting before they get married. Everybody does that now. 85% of couples cohabit, live together before they get married. Well, that's called sexual immorality. I don't care what you call it because it's sexual immorality and sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if our whole society does it. The Bible says you get married and then you start living together. It doesn't say that you live together and then you get married. You get married and then you live together. That's what the Bible teaches. For this reason, a husband and wife should leave their mother and father and cleave to one another and they should become one flesh. That's the standard. I don't care if the whole world says it's not that way. The Bible is my standard of rule. Not society. So if I live in a church and the church says, well, it's okay to do that, and you shouldn't say anything about that, Mark, listen to me. I don't... The lowest denominator is not the standard. God's word is the standard. We've got to get to that pace. So how do we handle our money? And seeing the grace jump for that one, well, how we handle our money will give us an indication of our focus on the comfort or commission. So I want to talk, and I'll never talk about money in, in this church that I'm going to today. Because you notice we never took up an offering, we, as is our habit. We forget to do that every Sunday. Never mind, I don't know how we keep on going. <laughs> right, because it's not important to us. You know, Jesus is the center. He's the center. 
But how you handle your money is important to God. And so while we're not jumping up about it, I want you to have a look at some of these scriptures just to think about it, okay? In Australia, this is what we spend our money on. Look at this. This comes from the um, ATSIC. It comes from one of the government sites. Um, it says $11 billion on meat as opposed to $2.4 billion a year on seafood. So we eat a whole lot more meat than we... Alcohol and tea. This is the second little thing here. Alcohol and tea. $14.1 billion a year on alcohol in Australia. $14.1 billion a year on alcohol in Australia. This is 2012, so this is four, two years ago. As opposed to $1.1 billion on coffee and tea. So guess what we drink more of in Australia than anything else? $14.1 billion on alcohol as opposed to $1.1 billion on coffee and tea. Uh, transport, $78 billion on transport. Your cars are important to you. You'll go into a lot of debt just to have a fancy car to drive it around because it's good to have that car behind you. You know, they, it's nice. Have a nice car. Or have two even. As opposed to public transport, 2.2 billion. Look at this. 8 billion on beauty. That means you're going to get your hair done, your nails done, your hair face, you know, eyes made done up. 8 billion dollars on beauty. As opposed to... Two billion on your brains. So people spend two billion on education, but eight billion on their hairdresser. Look at this one here. Recreation versus medical. Nineteen billion dollars in recreation. That's having fun. That's not counting your drinking. So your drinking goes on top of that one. Nineteen point one billion. That's more money on entertainment than you are spending on meat to eat. You're spending 19 billion on recreation, fun, excitement and sports and, and all that sort of stuff. And you spend six or is it eight billion on medical getting over, <laughs> getting over the, the fun of the games. 9.5 billion on Gadgets and goods as opposed to 5.1 billion on fashions. 10.5 billion on personal care. That's the facial, the massage. And 0.76 billion on pampering your pets. <laughs> Listen, and all of those, all of those, have nothing to do with God. <laughs> look, look. Where have I? I've gone now. Where have I gone? I'm going wrong way. Come back, come back, come back to me. Yeah, here we go. Six hundred and forty-two billion, and none of it on God. Go, no, wait a minute. Wait. Just slow this down. <laughs> that would indicate something to you, wouldn't it? That would indicate to you that you're in a society that is really, really governed by whatever feels good, do it. Doesn't matter what you cost. And in fact, most of your life you're going to spend working to earn it, to do it. 
You'll spend most of your life working just so that you can spend it having fun. That's what, those, that's what the stats tell us. That's what you... You will have started going and you'll get your education and you want a certain job and the reason why you want a certain job is because it's going to pay you big bucks and the reason why you want it to pay you big bucks is so that you can get lots of money in the bank and so that you can get really a lot more bucks in the bank and once you get a lot more bucks in the day and then what we're going to do, well, we'll once we get all the bucks in the bank that we get, we can take it easy for our lives so we've got it all together. We're secure now, buddy. We've got our bucks in the bank. Or maybe just get another lottery card so that you can win the big bucks without spending the big bucks, you know, and then you can... Our society is really quite messed up. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, you've heard that one before. This is one of those teachings that Jesus says that sort of like, you know, it's nice, Jesus, but how do you actually do that in our society? Actually, what we actually do is lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. We save, we put it in the bank for a rainy day. We want to make sure we're secure. You know, we want to get a job, we want to get a house, we want to get, you know, a car, we want to get finances, we want to get it all summed up, we want to get it all dished away so that we can relax. You know, that's what we do. You know, that is what we do. So this runs diametrically opposed to what we do. It's running in a different direction. You have God's truth going this way, and society is saying this thing. It's going in the opposite direction. And we're living in a society that's going in the opposite direction to what God is actually saying. And it's going to be uncomfortable for us to try and shake that. You think about that. Try and shake that. Get a good job. Get some money in the bank. And be secure. Try and shake that. Well, that's wisdom, Mark. You know, you don't want to... What if they, what if they cut all the doll payments? What if, they, what if they cut all the Centrelink payments? What if they cut everything away? We live in an extremely wealthy country. The people who are on doll payments and Centrelink payments, New Start payments, you guys and girls, you might feel like you're poor here in Australia, but listen to me, you're in the top 95% in the world of people who've got income. You're considered in this world ecology to be rich. It's, you're rich. You've got a, if you're in a housing commission house and you've got money in your bank because the, the government's giving you a doll check and you're able to pick it up and you're able to buy food, even though you might be struggling, you've got a house. There are people living who don't get one dollar a week and there is no payments, there's nothing, they die. You're living in a world that is rich. You are rich. We're in the top 95% of the richest people in the world, even if you're on government payments. That's the truth. That's the statistics. That's the truth. You're rich. Turn to the neighbor and say, you rich person, you. <laughs> you might not feel like it. But you got, more than, you got more than two coats. You got more than two pairs of shoes. You got a bed to sleep on. And you got a mattress and you got a blanket. You're rich. You got a meal at the table. You're rich. You got, you got, you got money to buy things that you shouldn't be buying with. You pay stuff for stuff that you shouldn't. You, you spend money on things that you know you shouldn't. You've got money to waste. 
Seriously. If it came down to life and death, would you really spend your dollar over there or would you spend it somewhere else? Would that be the last thing that you put in your mouth? You're rich. Listen, this is, this is what he says. The lamp of the body. Read it, it says. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, what he's saying there is this, the way you see something, your perception of something, is going to put light in you. If you see it as being bad, then you're full of darkness. So if you think, oh, no, I'm really poor here and, and the government deserves to give me more and it's not right and I'm entitled to these things and, you know, I'm struggling. If you get a dark view, then everything inside of you is dark. If you don't see the light, if you don't have light on the inside, it's because you don't perceive light through your eyes. Because what you take in through your eyes, that's what makes you full of light or darkness. So if you take God's word and you perceive God's word through your eyes, you're full of light and the light inside you is light. It's God's light inside of you. But if you look at the world and you take in what the world is saying and you take it into your mind and that becomes your perception, that you're full of darkness and the light inside of you is darkness. And how great is the darkness? Everybody's thinking the most important thing in life is to be happy and enjoy myself. And it doesn't matter. The government should pay me more money so I can enjoy myself more. In fact, this man will pay his tax and I'll take his tax and I'll spend it down and I'll drink it. Because I'm entitled to it. That's what goes on. Just round around in a crazy circle. And we think that that's right because, you know, that's, that's what it should be, you know. Maybe it's dark. Maybe the darkness is inside us. Maybe there's a different value, a different way of thinking about things, which is God's way of thinking about things, which should be different to what we're doing in the world, hey? No one can serve two masters, you either... He will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. So he's saying here, you can tell what a person's values are by looking at them the way they serve money or the way they serve God, where the money becomes more important than God to them. You can tell them. You can tell. It's just there. So in Jesus' teaching, he goes and talks to this fellow. This, this guy, he's, he's having a problem with his brother. You know, the dad died and his brother's got, they're going to have to divide the inheritance between these two guys. You know, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you tell my brother to share with me the goods. I mean, you can imagine, I've been waiting for dad to die for so long. Will you hurry up and die, dad? When you die, then I can get some money. You know, if, I, if you hurry up and die, then I can sell your house and I can, once you sell your house, I can pay off my debts and I'll be right. You know, well, get, get to it, please. Well, that doesn't sound very good, but this is what happened. And then the person died and all the brothers and sisters are standing there with gimme, 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 gimme. They all want a slice of the pie. And one guy said, no, it's all mine because I'm the most important person in the world. I'm having it and you're not having it. I've got it. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. I'm there. I got it. You can't have it. And so he's come to Jesus and said, you know, tell him to divide equally amongst us. And then Jesus tells him a story. He says, this is bloke, he says. He says, watch out for all manners of greed. He says, this is bloke. He says, he said, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbitrator between you? He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possession. There again, 
running in directly opposite to what we think. Because we think that if you've got more stuff, then you are better than the person who has less stuff. We think if you have less stuff, you're not worth as much as the person who has more stuff. In fact, your status as an individual in the West is based upon your ability to have more stuff. In fact, the whole goal of the West is to get more stuff and die with more stuff because if you die with more stuff, at least you showed yourself to be more worthier than the person who died penniless. The person who died penniless is worth less than the person who died with lots. Biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. But that's what we think. The person who died penniless may have given it all away to the poor and served society in a beautiful sense and died with nothing to his name, whereas the person who hoarded his filthy riches and got it in his bank there and no one is now being bequeathed to a cat somewhere. Which is what they do. $12 billion between to a cat. Nonsense. He says, he says, and he tells them a story, he tells them a parable. This is the parable. There's a certain, uh, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he's a farmer and he got a lot of crops coming in. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. He's going to store it up. He's going to lay up for himself. He's going to make bigger barns so he's got more. You know, he won't be able to eat as much grain as he's got. He's got so much grain, you know. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's this. Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Store it up, be secure. Work hard, save hard, store it up, be secure. And God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you or from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This, this, is, how those, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So he's, again, he's saying, the way you use your money is going to be an indication of whether you're living for comfort or you're living for commission. If you think you have to store it up because you've got to look after yourself, then you obviously don't believe that God's going to look after you. Because if you believe God would look after you, then you wouldn't worry about storing up because God would look after you. But if you're God and you have to store it up for yourself because you've got to look after your future, then you better store it up because you don't know when you're going to need it. You know, you're going to have to get it as much in the bank, work all your life, store it up because you just don't know what's going to happen. You better get going. And if you get sick, you need more of it, so you better work harder now. Don't, have any, don't do anything for God. Don't do anything for anybody else. Just keep on working because you've got to get your security. And once you get your security and you've got it all there in the bank and it's all there, watch out you don't have a heart attack and die the next day. That's not the point of the exercise, Jesus is saying. That's the articulated lie. James tells us that the people who actually think this way have primed themselves, got them ready for destruction. Now listen, you rich people. This is everybody in the house here because we are the 95% in the church, in the world in terms of richness. Okay, so he's talking to us. Seriously. Put yourself in the world, in the economy of the world, you are rich. I don't care whether you feel you're poor, you're rich. Every one of you is rich. 
Now listen to me, rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. <laughs> you like the Bible? It's good, isn't it? I like the way it talks to us so directly. Your wealth has rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. How many people have clothes in the cupboard and you go and put them on and they've got moths holes? And how many people have experienced that? I have experienced that. Put your hand up if you've got another set of clothes in the cupboard that got moths eaten it. That's the truth. You know, some people don't have two, two sets of clothes for one to get eaten by moths. You got two, one got eaten by moths. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. They have hoarded wealth in the last days. See, here it is, this idea of hoarding wealth in the last days. Look, he says, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He said, listen to what he says. He says, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourself in the days of slaughter. It's like that mentality actually produces in us this hoarding sense. So our whole society is hoarding. And the Bible says that we are fattening ourselves for the day of slaughter. The way we've got to get it sorted in our heads about what we're doing, whether it's comfort or commission, whether we eat, drink, and be merry. And tomorrow we die, or we live for God's glory and to, to bring Him glory. We just, we've got to sort that in our minds. We can't just keep on going and living the way we're doing and just keep on, oh, well, this is just the West. No, 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 wait a minute. The West is coming to an end, and Jesus will rule and reign, and, and you want to be right with God. No, look, God is not against enjoyment, okay? Some people think, oh, you, well, Christianity must be the most terrible thing in the world. You know, they've got to be so miserable, poor, miserable, and horrible people. <laughs> Walking around, poor, miserable, and horrible, with a sad look on your face. Oh, yeah, I don't have anything because I'm holier than you. Why? I don't have two shirts because I'm holier. No, listen, God is not against riches. God wants to give you riches. He's already given you spiritual riches, and if you keep on following, he'll give you material riches as well. He's not against riches. He just wants you to use your riches, riches wisely for him. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Don't put your help in the wealth. You might have wealth, but don't put your hope in the wealth. That wealth is not going to save you. It is God who saves you. Your money won't save you. God is the deliverer. He is the supplier. Put your hope in God. He says, don't be arrogant, put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who, provides, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, God is actually, hey, wait a minute, you said that you, pleasure, we shouldn't be having Listen, God created pleasure. He did. He made us feel emotions so that we could feel pleasure. We are meant to feel pleasure. That's part of being human. Everybody say, I'm glad about that. Well, I'm glad that I can feel pleasure. God actually hardwired you to feel pleasure. Everything inside the way you're created in your brain and your neurons and everything like that is hardwired to actually give you a hit when, you get, when you're doing the right thing. That's why you feel good when you do the right thing. You feel good because God wired you to feel good when you do the right thing. 
He also wired you to feel good when you do the wrong thing as well. You used to have to choose what you're going to serve, whether you're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing and feel good about doing the right thing or to feel good about doing the wrong thing. You've got to feel good either way because that's how you're wired. You're wired to worship God and to praise Him and to worship Him and to feel good about that. Or you're wired to worship sin and money and feel good about that. But you will feel good about both of those things because your enjoyment is what God wants you to feel. An interesting thing, and I looked, Warwick was here, he gave us a, a thing, uh, uh, I watched a video clip. Uh, you know, we often see, you know, certain things are genetically thing, you know, a genetic thing. Like this person has this sort of genetic makeup, therefore they have a tendency towards this. Maybe they're genetically, we say genetically alcoholic or something, you know. Really can't blame them for that because that's the way God made them. Well, that's not exactly true. It's not about being made anything. It's about your focus. It's about your focus. They found, when they examined a person's brain, that your mind is like a, it's like a muscle. Your brain is like a muscle. And what you exercise it on, it gets bigger in that area. It, it gets bigger. They didn't used to think that the, the brain was like a muscle. They used to think it was hard, set. And they discovered that it actually changes. It changes. You can actually make your brain change. So that if you become very good at doing certain things, like taxi drivers in London have exercising an incredible part of their brain, and they did autopsies on taxi drivers, and that part of their brains is bigger than anybody else's part of their brain because that's what they exercise when they're driving around the city. That part of their brain is exercised so it's bigger. Homosexuality has a bigger section in their brain. No, it's not bigger to start off with. It's because they do what they do. That's why it gets bigger. It's function. So that if I lose my, if I lose my feeling in my arm and for some neuro things, I can actually train my brain to start to read and I can actually get my hand back and my brain has exercised another part and it starts to move. And, I, and that, a lot of uh, rehabilitation is about teaching somebody to use another part of their brain to do something. They can make a rat see out of their eye after cutting the optical nerve and stitching it back into some other part of the brain because they, they can... They can redirect it through the other part of their brain, and they can make the rats see out of an eye again. It's amazing. That's the God hardwired. So here's the thing: they put in an MRI a person who was struggling with crack cocaine addiction, and there in their part of their brain, crack cocaine addiction is going bong, 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 bong. Like they're feeling the cravings. You see, poor, poor person feeling the cravings. So we'll call that, that was about a five, okay? They put in a person who was struggling with pornography in the MRI and looked at their brain. And here's the same part in their brain going, boom, 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 boom. And it's 50 times stronger than the crack cocaine person. So to try and get out of that problem of pornography, it's 50 times harder than the person who's trying to get away from crack cocaine. Same part of their brain. Just their focus, it's different. They put a person who's worshipping God in the MRI and they said, now worship God and they watch the same part of their brain lights up and it starts going boom, boom, boom because they're worshipping God. You know what it is? It says your brain is hardwired to worship something. You've got to worship God or you've got to worship sin. You've got to worship something. 
It's not what you're born, it's what you focus on, it's what you set your mind on, it's what you set your focus in. You're born and created to worship God and to say, God, you're the greatest. And if you don't do that, the devil will put something else there and you'll go, hmm, 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 and you'll be wanting to do that. And don't come to me and say, well, that's the way I was created. You were created to worship. What do you want to worship? You want to worship your money, you want to worship your comfort, you want to worship your pleasure. What do you want to worship? Well, you want to worship God Almighty. Carlos, that's exactly what God was saying today. Tell them I'm created them to worship me. It's the truth. It's not about whether you're born this or born that. It's about what's your focus. What you set your focus on. God gives us everything for our enjoyment. He's not against your enjoyment. He created us to enjoy life. Command them that, to do good, the rich people, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now listen to this. Listen to what he says. But if you have food or clothing, we will be content with that. Well, he hasn't mentioned my house. Or my leather couch. He hasn't mentioned my car or my job. He said contentment is based upon food and clothing. That's it. That's it. Food and clothing. You've got food and clothing, hey. You are driven with so much unrest because you haven't got. Why do you want it? Because have you got food and clothing? There with, be content. See, the devil wants you to be, so he wants you to believe this lie so you drive yourself. You know, you haven't got more. You want more. I want two pairs of shoes, not one pair. I want, I've got to have that other pair of shoes. I saw that Fashion girl, and she was wearing those boots. Man, I have to have those boots. No, those, they're different than last year's ones. You know, these ones are different. I have to have that. That's a different color than last year. Those colors are out this year. I've got to have different. I'm going to spend $260 billion on being discontent. And if that's the church, would I spend a quarter of that on missions or reaching out to people who are lost and trying to touch people who need Jesus? He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the warm feeling that, oh, I just got to have some money, give me that dollar. The love of money is the root of all kind of evils. You know, there's the entrance to it, the entrance to it. Just get hot and, and oh, I just got to have more of that stuff. If I can get more money, that will sort my problem out. Listen, 
It didn't sort it out before when you got more money. You wasted more money when you got more money. Hey, that's the way it goes. Get more, waste more. Because you don't have it sorted in your head. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Remember that passage of scripture that we dealt with last week, it said, well, the week before last. It said, do you, do you not know that when you offer yourself to somebody as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Remember that we, we dealt with that in Romans chapter 6 a couple of weeks ago? I'm going to, next, next week I'm going to talk about Romans chapter 7. I'll go on from Romans chapter 6 and look at Romans chapter 7. But notice what he says here. This really is up to you. It's a choice. You choose your focus. You choose your slave. You're going to serve someone. You're going to serve someone. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to serve the devil. You were going to serve someone. You are not a free agent. You have to serve somebody. You either serve Jesus or you serve the devil. You've got to make a choice. The choice is you can make a choice. Uh, that's the great thing about it. I mean, it's not like you're sitting here and you don't have a choice. Like, if, if you don't choose God, you don't have a choice because there are no other options. Because you choose God and say, I want to live differently, I want to think differently, God says, I'll give you an option. The option is think differently to this world. Think independently of this world. You get a choice. It's your choice now. You want to be slaves? You're going to be slaves to sin or you're going to be slaves to God? You're going to be slaves to pleasure or you're going to be slaves to God? You're going to be slaves to what God wants you to do or you're going to be slaves to what the world wants you to do? You're going to be a slave. You, can't, you are not free. You're not a free agent. You are free to choose who you're going to serve. That's the bottom line. Look, on Tuesday night, we, we, we had a, a, a study on, on this um, account with Jesus. Jesus climbs, uh, does a, a thing. The, the, they go into the boat. Jesus sleeps in the back of the boat. They're going into the sea. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. They all climb in the boat. They push off. They get out into the middle of the, the ocean. It's deep. It's dark. It's horrible. Jesus goes to sleep in the back of the boat. They're going to the other side. The wind and the waves begin to blow outside the boat. Okay? But the winds and the waves start coming into the boat. They buffet the boat, push it around, push it side on to the waves, which is not a good thing. The water comes into the boat, which is not a good thing. And the, and the, and the guys there are getting kind of scared because stuff from outside is coming inside. They went with Jesus into the boat because they thought they were going to go to the other side. Jesus, take me to the other side. And please make the journey calm and quiet. That never happens when you get in the boat with Jesus. It never is calm and quiet. You, have you noticed that? When you climb in the boat with Jesus and you head off, it never, ever remains calm and quiet. As soon as you get in the boat, you can know one thing. Jesus makes go to sleep in the boat, but it's not going to be quiet and so calm. You know, you're going to get out in the middle of the deep and you're going to stand there and then the wind is going to blow on you. And then the waves are going to get up in there and you're going to feel the rain on you. You're going to say, Jesus, I, 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 I got on this boat because you were going to take me to the other side and you're meant to make it comfortable for me. And guess what? Jesus is not making it comfortable for you. So you're working really hard. You're trying. I've got to get out of my addictions. 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 You've got to try. Jesus is not helping you. Get out of your addictions. You know? You've got to get that wind to stop. You've got to focusing on the wind. You're focusing on the waves. It's getting you wet. You're getting cold. You're getting terrified. You don't know what you're going to do with yourself. Jesus, will you wake up and do something? 
Take responsibility for me, Jesus. I'm trying to empty the boat. I'm trying to keep alive. I'm trying to stay alive. I'm trying to stay alive. And you're not helping me, Jesus. You're not helping me stay alive. Your focus is on what Jesus is not doing and not on what Jesus can do. And you think that Jesus has to get along beside you and help you with that bucketing out stuff. He wakes up. He looks at the wind and the wave. Be still! And they are captivated by this man because everything goes quiet. What you're focusing on? The wind and the waves? Well, Jesus. He says, why don't you believe? He says, what's wrong with you guys? I said we're going to go to the other side. Why don't you just believe? But Jesus, you didn't see the waves. You didn't see the wind. You don't know how I feel. I'm here. Even though you don't think I'm doing something, I'm here. Watch me. Just to press the point. He sends them away after feeding the, the multitudes. And they get out of the boat. And guess what happens again? Now Jesus is not in the boat. They're out in the middle. And the wind and the waves have come and it's buffeting. And Jesus decides to walk to them on the water. Well, I mean, this is the guy who stopped the wind and the waves. Now he's walking on the water. So he's walking on the water to them and he's walking past them and they go, Woohoo, a ghost! They're terrified. Jesus, Jesus says, Be calm, it's me, I'm walking on the water. Remember, that's just the thing I do. You know, I command the waves and the wind. You know, I am the Lord of creation. I walk on the water. It's not the troubles, the winds and the waves are not going to drown me. Take, take, look, have, here I am. And Peter says, is that you, Lord? Bid me to come. Bid me to come. And Jesus says, okay, little man, come. So he climbs out of his boat, puts his foot on the water. And the Bible says he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. And then he shifts his focus from Jesus. He looks at the winds and the waves and he begins to sink. And as he's going down, he says, Lord, three very powerful words, save me. Jesus picks him up and saves him. Why did you doubt? He says. The winds and the waves, they speak to me about the emotional, addictive passions that we have in our bodies that buffet us, that push us around, that try and control us. We get into situations and we feel the wind and the waves of lust and desire and all those things pushing against us and we forget that Jesus is in the boat. And rather than speak to them and say, in the name of Jesus, stop! In the name of Jesus, take authority over that thing there. We get buffeted and we try to control the passion. We try and buffet it out, get the passion over there. We go and look over here, we get a little strong again here. We go and try and measure it, try and put it down there. Try, oh, I, oh, oh, you don't know what it's like to be me, having to live with all those things that I have to feel every day. You know, oh, Jesus is in the boat. Oh, he doesn't feel like he's in the boat. I feel like I'm, like I'm, like I, I need a fix. I feel like I need something in my life. I feel all these passions running through me. What you're focusing on? The winds of the waves or Jesus? Our society wants you to focus on the passion. You're conditioned to focus on the passion. You're conditioned to worship the dollar. You're conditioned to be comfortable. 
As soon as it's uncomfortable for you, you say, oh, I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable. As though it's, some wrong, it's not wrong to be uncomfortable. Fine to be uncomfortable. I would rather be uncomfortable and righteous than comfortable and unrighteous. You with me? I would rather be doing God's favor than pleasing myself. I would rather be obedient than happy. We sometimes have so much trouble because we don't want to be obedient. We want to be comfortable. This is Peter. This is, this is, this is the end now. This is the same guy that was in the boat when it was being buffeted and he was trying to bucket the water out. This is the same guy who walked out onto the water and got buffeted by all the, the waves. So he writes a little gospel, writes a little, uh, not a gospel, a, a letter. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. I like that because that's different to the winds and the waves, isn't it? And he knows about the winds and the waves because he actually stepped out in the midst of the winds and the waves. So he says, you know, you know what, you want to have grace and peace. You don't want to have winds and waves. He says, you want grace and peace. Everybody say, I want grace and peace. I don't want to have winds and waves. Well, you know, he says, you know, this is grace and peace. He says, oh, let me tell you how you can get grace and peace multiplied to you. He says, it's all about what you're focusing on. Grace and peace multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and God, and it's through the knowledge of him. Twice now he said the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus. You won't you get your focus on the knowledge of Jesus. Get your focus on the eyes of Jesus. Get your eyes into the, the author and the finisher. Look into the eyes of Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Stop looking at the stuff that you shouldn't be looking at. Stop, stop playing with your comfort levels and start saying, I want to be obedient to you, God, and start looking at him, and he will give you grace and peace. The winds and the waves will stop when you look in the eyes of Jesus. And that doesn't... I want to have someone near me. I need somebody. Jesus doesn't do it for me. It's your choice. He's ever given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That through these we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, what, what, watch this. Watch what he's saying. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's saying your lust, your strong desires, your focus is producing the, the discomfort in your life and the winds and the waves. Get your eyes off what you're looking at. And it might be uncomfortable for a little while while you reset your vision. Set your eyes directly on Jesus. Start to understand him. And you will discover that the winds and the waves will diminish and your love and your worship of God will increase because you are hardwired to worship God. You just have to change the channel. Have to change your focus. And that may mean you have to be uncomfortable, but obedient. Remember, the lie is your comfort. 
The truth is obedience. God calls us to come to obedience. He says, but if you, he says, this is, but also for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control. And so these are all things that you add into the mix. But if you're doing all these things, he says, if, you, if you're putting that into your life, if you're applying this into your life, he says, if you're doing this, he says, for these things, he says, if they are abounding in you, will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He says, that's how you get to know Jesus better, he says. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted and even to blindness and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sin. He's talking about Christians. You can get so waylaid with lust that you forget that you have to add Jesus into the mix every day and think about Jesus and dwell upon Jesus and apply yourself to Jesus and keep that going. If you stop that, your addiction will begin into the world again. If you keep this going and keep loving Jesus, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent and make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will... What does it say? You will... You will never stumble. Never stumble. Now, he's not telling us that this is impossible. He's saying this is possible and you can do this. You will never stumble. And then he says, and you will be supplied... Uh, and so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus sitting on his throne. Now you can got two ways you get to heaven. You sneak him, sneak him the back door to the workers' entrance. Or you come through the front gate. The first martyr was Stephen. The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews that Jesus finished the work on the cross and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But so we're told we, that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So right, we know Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father. The first martyr is now martyred. Stephen's standing there. He's preached a, a fiery little sermon. They got stones and they killed him. His father unto you. He looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus finished his work and sat down. The first martyr for the church who's given his life for the faith now gets a a standing ovation from Jesus as he stands up. A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Jesus gets off his throne, steps forward. Stephen, you opted obedience, not comfort. Come here. And he gets a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Now listen. You say, well, I want to be like Stephen, do you? You want to be like Stephen? I want to come in through the front door. I want to have Jesus step up off the front, put his arms and say, Mark, come here, buddy. You made it to the end. I want him to grab me and I want him to swim me around like this and say, ah, it's so good to have you home. I want to have a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. I don't want to sneak in the back door. I want Jesus to come in. You know what I have to do to get that? I have to keep my eyes on Jesus the whole time. I have to stop my focus on my lust and start my focus on Him. And I have to choose not comfort. I have to choose obedience. And that will be enough to get me through the front door. What do you want, friends? What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the lie that your comfort is more important than anything else and that's the most important thing just to be happy in life? Or are you going to believe that your obedience is the thing that's going to get you through the front door of heaven? 
What do you want in life? It's up to you. You choose the winds and the wave or you choose Jesus' eyes. What are you going to do? It's up to you. Joshua says it this way. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether you, the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose lands you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my household, you know, you have to choose. Well, if it's undesirable for you to follow Jesus, well, you just choose who you're going to serve because you will serve somebody. You won't, you'll serve your passions, you'll serve society, but you won't serve God. You have to choose whom you're serving. You have to choose who you worship. And today I want to encourage you and say, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that somehow that it's more important for you to eat, drink, and to be merry for tomorrow you die. It's not. It's more important that you follow Jesus and that you bring him glory. And you bring glory to Jesus every day of your life. And the obedience is the center thing. It's not comfort. It's obedience for God that you're looking at. And the best, the best indicator for that is just look at your wallet or look at your telephone and find out what you're spending your money on. That will tell you where your focus is. It's the truth. And I'm not here to tell you lies. I'm here to tell you the truth. Because I want you to have a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Amen? Let's stand up, shall we? Well, Jesus, is another week. Here we are again, standing together, having listened to your word. Lord, we're just so grateful that we have this opportunity to come and to stand and to be together and to hear your word. Lord, we ask that your word would find a place of home in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would engraft the word of God within us because it's able to save us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to shift our focus from that which would be our cravings, Father, our lusts, the winds and the waves that buffet us when we climb into the boat with you, Jesus. Lord, help us to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you move us from where we are to a better place with you. Father, that so tomorrow, Lord Jesus, as we wake in the day, tomorrow that we would start to walk in a new life with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just come before you. We want to worship you, Jesus. We don't want to worship the lust of the flesh. We don't want to worship the stuff that's around us. We don't want to be continually serving our addictions, oh God. We want you to be the center of our lives. We want you to be the middle, the core of us, Jesus. We want you to be our passion, Lord Jesus. So we ask you, oh God, help us to keep our eyes on you in these terrible days. Help us to make hard decisions that are not comfortable for us, Lord Jesus, but are right for us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be obedient and not to be sinful. Help us to walk with one another and to help each other to walk in this path, Lord Jesus, and not to become those who fall away or those who become weak in their faith or those who become cold in their hearts. Lord, we want to be part of the solution to this world, not part of the problem. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.